Amen. Well, good morning, church. It's June, and it's the Amazon rainforest outside, right? So good to see you this morning. Take your Bible. Let's go to the Book of Ruth in the Old Testament. Book of Ruth. We will be continuing uh, our series uh, for this summer called Not Forsaken. And it's pretty cool for us to, uh, to spend this summer in the Old Testament. Pray for, uh, for Justin and Ashley and the girls. Uh, they're down at the beach uh, this week getting a little rest. And uh, pray for uh, just some, some recoup stuff. Um, we were texting uh, back and forth yesterday. And, of course, uh, he's praying um, for the Lord to meet with us uh, today. But we started the book of Ruth last week. And uh, Justin gave us an introduction. And so we're going to dive in. We're going to be in verses 6 through 18 this morning. Thanks for praying for me. Uh, I just finished up what I thought was going to be one camp, but in the middle of last week, I was down in Foley, Alabama, preaching for Dolphin Way Baptist Church and their student ministry. And uh, another church uh, that we were familiar with, they, they called because their speaker had a medical emergency, so he had to back out. So I found myself the last two nights um, finishing up in Foley about 7.45 and then driving to Gulf Shores and preaching. So I got in at 3 a.m. last night, so if I speak in tongues this morning, just forgive me, okay? But uh, we're going to be in Ruth this morning. I'm excited about this series. So many places in the Bible, we get big picture, big picture, big picture. And as Justin said last week, one of the goals of this series is for you to see the big story of the Bible, that God is not working in isolated cavities, but God has always been about revealing himself, drawing people to himself to make a name for himself throughout the world. And the book of Ruth is very unique because it zooms in, it's a microcosm of what God is doing throughout the Bible. Rather than having a kingdom and, and a nation, we have a town and, and a family, a lineage. And then later on as we will finish up the book, we see how incredible God's plan really is. I was listening to a guy teaching through this book, and I thought this was really good. The book of Ruth is, it, it's a warning, or it's a, it, it keeps us in check to think that God only works in the fireworks and the dramatic and the huge, because the book of Ruth shows that God is just as much in work in the ordinary, the humdrum, when there's nothing going around that should cause us to think that God is at work, guess what? God's at work. And that's really good for us to see. We're going to look at verse 6 through verse 18 this morning. But before we jump in, I just kind of want to remind you of last week. We find that this story takes place in the days of the judges. I'm going to move this stool or I'm going to kick it. Uh, I, was, I was preaching last night and I didn't know the music stand that my Bible was on. It was kind of loose and so I, I bumped it in my Bible and my notes and everything went flying and somebody in the front row called them. So I don't want to do that this morning. Time of the Judges, which is about a two to three hundred year period from the death of Joshua until the birth of Samuel. That's what we're looking at. That's where we are historically. 1300, 1200, 1100, 1000 BC. So a thousand years before Jesus showed up, that's where we are. Don't really know where in that period precisely this landed, but you'll remember, if you go back to verse one, the text tells us that this is in the days where the judges ruled. Justin told us last week that this time was characterized by just a chaotic nature. Israel was running from God. 
They would go and serve the gods of the nations and then God in his mercy would raise up a judge and he would go out and and fight and lead Israel to victory. The Lord would give victory and guess what? They'd come back to God and they would serve the Lord while that judge was alive. But when that judge died, guess what? Repeat, we go back to the gods of the nations. And so remember last week, we, we met this guy Name Elimelech. And if you remember, what was his name? What did his name mean? My God is king. From the Hebrew word Melech for king and Elohim, God. My God is king. And we found out that that guy really didn't live like God was his king because rather than trusting the Lord for food in his town called Bethlehem, house of bread, what does he do? He gets pragmatic and he says, well, there's no food here because of the famine, so I'm going to take my family and we're going to go down to Moab. Justin walked through Moab. There was a reason why you didn't need to go to Moab. They were kind of the the hillbilly third cousins of the Israelites, right? I mean, they were literally, their, their people came about through incest in Genesis chapter 19. And so they were always treated Israel wrongly. And so he goes down to Moab. I want to draw your attention real quick to the progression. Look in verse one. They went down to sojourn in the country of Moab just for a little while. We won't be there very long. But then it says at the end of verse two that they remained there. And then in verse four, it says that they lived there 10 years. And guess what happened while they lived there? Elimelech dies his sons marry Moabite women, which was a big no-no. Malon, sickness, that's what his name meant. Kilion, wasting away. Not gonna encourage you to name your children that. But they die too. And so you get to the end in verse five and it says, the woman, that's Naomi, she was left without her two sons and her husband. And by the way, she's left with two daughters-in-law and no grandchildren. Isn't this a microcosm of the book of Judges? Isn't this a picture of what happens when you leave worship and trust of God and you venture out on your own? Nobody really ever intends to leave the Lord to to stay somewhere, but sin always takes us further than we want to go. It always keeps us longer than we want to stay. One old preacher used to say sin thrills and then it kills. First it fascinates and then it assassinates. You can't win the sin game. And so we see in this one family, we know what's going on in Israel and God just zooms in and he says, this is how people live. They were saying God was their king, but in everyday practical matter, God really wasn't the ruler of their life. And so we pick up in verse six, Naomi, whose name means pleasant. She's not very pleasant at this point in her life. As we teach through this series, would remind you, this is the outline we're following. We want to teach you the story, we want to pull out truth, and then ultimately we want to point to Jesus. So let's jump into it this morning. The theme of this passage is return. You'll see very quickly why. Let's read the text. Ruth chapter 1, verse 6 through 18. Then she, that is Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and had given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. 
But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back my daughters, go your way for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. That's Naomi. And Naomi said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. This is an amazing passage of scripture. Every passage is, but this one is so much emotion fills this passage. There's a crossroads in each one of these characters' life. All the men in their life have died. There's no husband to lead the family. There's no sons to help the father bring in food and grain and provide There's no children or grandchildren to bring joy. And it's as if Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah are stuck in a ditch that they can't get out. Well, what's the story this morning? The story, this passage is all about return. From verse six to the end of the chapter, you have 10 references to return of some sort. And if we're looking through this passage There's really four returns, and this is what I would, as we think about what the story is itself this morning, there's really four returns. Let's walk through them real quickly. What's amazing is the first return is that the Lord returns his blessing to Israel. Isn't that good? Now it says here in verse 6 that Naomi arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For 10 years, she's been living in Moab. For 10 years, she's been living in a place that does not signify the presence of God. You got to understand this. For the Jew, so much of God's presence was tied to the land of milk and honey, the promised land that was promised to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. God had brought them out of Egypt and had placed them in this land of possession. And for the Jew, to be in God's presence was to be in the promised land. And so here's Naomi, for 10 years at least, been living outside of the land of promise. And what drives her back? It says in verse 6 that she heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Isn't this cool that... All the other returns that we'll talk about in this story start with the Lord's return. Isn't that good? God always makes the first move, doesn't he? 
Looking back or looking in the moment, we may see that we're doing something or, or we're making a decision, but oftentimes Christian wisdom and Christian maturity looks back and we see that God was stirring the pot even when we didn't realize the pot was being stirred. And it is the Lord's kindness and the Lord's sovereignty that begins to work here. We told you last week what you're going to see in this book is redemption. And the redemption of God is broken down in his kindness that God actually wants to redeem. He's not begrudgingly saying, well, I got to go fix all that. No, he's, he's kind. But he's not just kind and loving. He is powerful enough to accomplish all that he wills to do in kindness and in love. And we have here the Lord returning. Now, in the form of it, we don't know if grain magically appeared, <laughs> supernaturally appeared. Probably what happened was the Lord sent rain. And they hadn't had rain in a long time. Famine is also with drought. And so you start seeing the Lord respond and look upon and visit his people. And so isn't it interesting here in verse 6 that in the fields of Moab, where there may have been physical grain, but there wasn't spiritual grain because they were outside of the presence of God, it is where they were actively seeking replacement for God that the news comes. God has returned to Israel. God has been faithful to his people. So, so then we see in this story that Naomi, because of God's return, she decides to return. Verse six, she arose with her daughter-in-law to return. And it says that she set out in verse seven from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Now this is what would happen because Naomi was the, the, now the, the senior person in this family unit. She was looked to as the decision maker. Orpah and Ruth had married into this family. And so there's two things really going on here in this culture and time. At the very least, when someone decided to leave town, you would accompany them to the outskirts of the town or maybe even beyond. It, it wasn't like, you know, how we do it in America. Like, you know, we're, <laughs> we, uh, you know, you know, those people that, that like wave and then they wave again, and then they wave again, and we get tired of them, so we just shut the door and shut the blinds. We don't have to wave back, you know what I mean? Lauren's got this deal with her parents, like when we pull out of the driveway, we're, I know exactly where it is on the road. I'm supposed to honk. Even though I've hugged and waved and all that, and you know how husbands are, all that's going on, and so we just walk to the car. We start the movement. We start the exit strategy, right? But we wave, and then we pull out of the driveway, and I know right where it is. It's right past the mailbox. And what am I supposed to do? And if I don't do it, I get reminded to do it. Honk! This is this mindset, but as sometimes as Americans, you know, at, at holiday season, our favorite lights of the holiday season are the lights going out of the driveway. You know what I'm talking about? We shut the door, shut the blinds. We done with these people. In this culture, you would walk with who was departing from you? Now, that's either going on or Orpah and Ruth, and this seems to be really what's going on, Orpah and Ruth have, guess what? They've packed up their stuff and they're going back because they are being loyal to Naomi. So Naomi's going back to Israel. She's going back to the land of promise and there's probably guilt. We don't know what's going through her mind. Maybe she was the one that told Elimelech, we need to go, we need to go. Or maybe she was the one, we don't need to go. Whatever it is, she goes back now empty. No husband, no sons, no grandchildren, and she has these two Moabite girls. The crossroads comes in verse eight. She stops 
And she tells them, go return. Now notice what the text says here in verse eight. She does not say, go return to your father's house. That will be what we would normally find in Old Testament scripture. Whose house does she tell them to return to? Mothers, right? It's really only found three or four times in the Old Testament. The, the thought here is, is that it was the mother that brought you into the world. And so the context is romance, marriage, kids. And so this is what Naomi is saying. Listen, you don't have to be loyal to me anymore. I'm old. I, I release you. Go back and find a new husband and a new life. And perhaps you'll find the joy there that you couldn't find with me. But you start seeing Naomi's bitterness, and we'll walk through this in, in a few minutes. Verse nine, she starts saying, may the Lord treat you as you have treated me. But then in verse 10, they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. They, they dig in their heels. And, and right before this, it says, and I'm not trying to be a chauvinist by saying this, but there's three women there, there's strong emotions. What do they do? They cry. We got Bluebell and we got Hallmark Channel. There we go, right there. But the, but the gravity of the moment, this is a departing. These are women that have buried their husbands and their children together. These, 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 are, these are women that have been through the anguish and the turmoil, and, and we're not going to do it. But then Naomi starts talking, and the verses that we read, she really lays out, she says, okay, check this out. Am I pregnant right now? Do I got baby bump? And even if I had baby bump, you're going to sit around for 20 years when baby bump becomes a grown man? No. So why would you waste your life going back with me when there's no hope? She realizes to go back and to basically try to, you know, match make her, her daughters-in-laws with like who have now been married. And by the way, they're Moabites. There is nobody in Bethlehem that's going to marry these girls. So why in the world would I take them back to a hopeless situation? I don't even have, I don't have a husband. If I did, and I had a husband this night and I had babies, y'all not going to wait around. And I wouldn't force you to do that. And so she starts saying, as I'm going back, just please let me go alone. The third return here is, is we have that Orpah returns to Moab. They lifted up their voices, verse 14, and they wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Orpah says, you're right. There's really no point in me going back. There's really no point in me going back with you. There's nothing for me in Bethlehem and Judah, so I will go back. Orpah goes back, and we're told in verse 15 that she goes back to her people, and more importantly, she goes back to her gods. The god of Moab was a Semitic deity called Chemosh, some Bible scholars think that he's actually the same deity, just a different name, of the Ammonites, Molech. Not a nice God at all. We find every instance of Chemosh and Molech that child sacrifice is involved. Archaeology tells us that there was these massive statues and the arms and the feet or the, the arms and the legs of Molech, as he set, kind of formed a bowl, and big fires were built in that bowl. And there was drums that were played really loudly. Most people think it was to drown out the cries of the infants and the children as they were tossed up into fire. 
And Orpah comes to this place, and she's not condemned for it in the text. I don't want to read into that. But what I'm telling you is, she turns from Naomi, and where does she go? She goes back to Moab. She goes back to her gods. One man said it this way, Orpah hears what Naomi says. She adds it up, and she says, you're right. It doesn't make sense. There's no hope for me here. I'm going back to Moab. It says here in verse 14, but Ruth clung to Naomi because the fourth return here in the text is that Ruth returns with Naomi. Ruth's the complete opposite. What's wild is the same logic's going on, but it brings her to a different conclusion. You're right. You're exactly right. I get what you're saying. You don't have a husband. You don't have a child. I probably wouldn't wait if they grow up. And all I hear all that, but check this out, Naomi. I know what you're saying, and you're right, so I'm going with you. It's this thought of return. Return, return. God returns. Naomi returns. Orpah turns her back and returns back to her people and her God. But Ruth goes on. That's the story. What truth do we see this morning from it? This is where it gets really good. First truth I want you to see this morning is that God keeps his covenant with Israel and he does it with kindness and sovereignty. People cross you. We call it burning the bridge. Most of the time, if someone burns the bridge, you probably aren't the first person to start reconstruction. And this family, who is a microcosm of what's going on with many families in Israel and Israel as a whole, this cycle of two to 300 years of we love you when stuff's good, oh Lord, but when we want to do what we want to do, we're going to turn from you and we're going to worship everything under the sun, and then God's going to come to our rescue and he's going to bring us back out and we're going to be delivered. And the only reason we cried out is because we didn't like how we were. And then we go back through that same cycle and guess what? We find ourselves again <laughs> running away. But the text tells us that in the land of Moab, Naomi heard good news. In her distress, she heard good news. In her emptiness, in her grief, in her mourning, she heard good news. Child of God, can I encourage you this morning if you find yourself in the fields of Moab for a time trying to glean from the world? Can I just encourage you this morning? You were saved by grace. You cannot be unsaved by works. Now we need to Paul's and just mentioned this, and Justin has said this plenty of times, if there's no evidence of grace in our life, but you know we've been maybe in and out of religion all our life, that doesn't mean we're born again. <laughs> there's gotta be a change to come in our life where we enter God's kingdom and God's people through a narrow gate and we walk on a hard way and that's true conversion, but check this out. Even saints find themselves struggling. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. And God had put himself out 
in Exodus 19 to this group of people called Israel. And he said, I'm making a covenant with you. You're my people and I'm your God. And you see, even in 200 years of apostasy, God comes back and God keeps his word and God brings to Israel what they don't deserve. That is our God. He's kind. He judges, but man, he's got a long fuse. (laughs) He's patient. All of nature is in the palm of his hands. All the resources in the world belong to him. If you belong to him, you have all that you need. We need to acknowledge this truth in the story. Believers sometimes blame God and feel he's against them. You start seeing just the bitterness and the hardship that Naomi is dealing with. And next week, Justin will walk us through it where she came back and they said, Naomi, pleasant one. And she's like, call me Mara. Probably in that voice. Did you notice two things as we read that text? If you go down in verse eight, go return each one of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead in me. And that sounds like, okay, I want God to treat you nice. What she's saying is, I hope God looks at how you've treated me and learns from that and he treats you like you've treated me. Wow, God didn't know how to act. So maybe he saw y'all's example and is gonna be like y'all. You can see it coming out, right? And then she straight up says it at the end of verse 13. The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Not for me, but I am where I am because God did this. Can't we sometimes get like that? We're the ones that went down to Moab. We're the ones that left the house of bread. We're the ones that permitted our sons and daughters to intermarry with the pagans. And then everything blows up and we look at God and be like, it's your hand that went out against me. Now it is true. Some, some Bible teachers really think that the reason that Elimelech died and Malon died and Kilion died could have perhaps been the judgment of God. Well, guess what? It wasn't without merit. Even, even if that's not the case, you can see Naomi just bitter. We have to acknowledge that, that sometimes in our life, we can feel that way. And let me encourage you, if you feel angst against God, run to him, don't run from him. In the Psalms, what do we find? I mean, they real talk. God, where are you? Some of us like think we have to be so polite to God that we can't say those things. He already knows our heart. We might as well just tell him, I'm mad at you right now, and I know I'm wrong, and I know it's sin. Please gently bring me to repentance, and I'll so that I can know you rightly. She's bitter. And the resentment and the bitterness here are the the backdrop for what we'll see through the rest of the book as, as God changes Naomi and brings her out of this bitterness. There's another truth, and this is awesome too. God's people are not determined by outward ethnicity, but true inward faith. Justin mentioned it last week. I'll read it to you. There was a prohibition in Deuteronomy chapter 23. And this is what it says. Deuteronomy chapter 23 says, no Ammonite or Moabite, kind of interesting, same God belongs to both of them, Chemosh, Molech. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, the people of the Lord. Even to the 10th generation, none of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever. But, But what do we have here? We have Ruth, a Moabite, 
determining to go back to Bethlehem to live with her mother-in-law, to stay there. And then she's pretty forceful when, when what she said. She said, my grave's gonna be right beside your grave. I'm gonna stick with you even in death. Where you lodge, I'll lodge. I'm gonna be with you. I'm gonna stay with you. I'm not going to depart from you. And so it almost seems that there was an understanding that even at this time, the nations would be accepted by the God of Israel. And so the Moabite is not somebody that's born in Moab. The Moabite is the one that worships the gods of Moab. The Israelite is not the one who may be from Ephraim or Dan or West Manasseh or Judah or Simeon or Naphtali. The true Israelite is the one, no matter where they come from, that bow the knee and heart and worship of their life at the feet of the Lord, the God of Israel, the living and true God. Gentiles, we thankful for this. We were grafted in. We were worshiping grasshoppers and trees and everything in the universe. And the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob sought us out and brought us to the knowledge of him as the living God. This is why we get in the New Testament when Paul starts saying, listen, the real sons of Abraham are the ones that show faith in Jesus. And so even here, when you go to the genealogy of Jesus, you know what you find? You find five women, three of them are Gentiles. They're like the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. That's awesome. Jesus had Gentile blood in his lineage. He's the savior of the world. A few more things to see about Ruth here. Verse 16, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. We find in Ruth, in her return, She's turning for the first time. Naomi is coming back. Orpah is going back. The Lord is graciously coming again and again and again. But what is Ruth doing? This is the first time. She's not returning. She's turning. She's turning to the Lord. Let me, let me make two statements about this. They'll both be on the screen. First is to turn to the Lord is to turn from idols. Not your God will be added upon my God because in Moab, Chemosh was the chief deity, but they had all kinds of other little deities and gods and goddesses just like every other pagan nation. But notice Elohim here is singular. I will turn from what I trust as God and your God. He will be my God. You know what she's saying? I don't have Malon to provide for me. I don't have Elimelech to provide for me. My brother-in-law, Kilion, is dead. And so the Lord, the God of Israel, he will be my protector. He will be my father. He will be my provider. He will be my security. That is the essence of repentance, isn't it? Everything that I sought, satisfaction, and security, and provision in, I turn from that, and I put my sole faith in the Lord, the God of Israel, to be everything for me. That's what she's doing. She's turning from, she's turning to. But this second aspect, your people will be my people. To turn to the Lord is to take on a new identity. She's not just coming back saying, okay, I'll worship God, and I'll just kind of fly solo through the rest of my life. Notice this. Now, this is pretty bold when you start thinking about it. Show up in Bethlehem, where are you from? 
Moab, Scarlet M on the chest. Don't talk to that chick. She, she is willing to embrace the community that she is now coming into. Can I tell you this this morning? You just weren't saved to fly solo through life. You were saved to take on a new identity of a new people called the church. Are we perfect? No. Ask my wife. Are we being conformed into the image of Jesus? Yes. This is why you will hear from this pulpit so often, it is the people of God, it is the people of God, it is the people of God, it is the people of God. Tear down what American independence has built into us and as great as that can be in the church, we are not independent of each other, we are dependent upon each other. You got spiritual gifts I don't have. You got strengths to help my weakness. We are in it together, and this is what Ruth is saying. <laughs> Moabite from birth, <laughs> not Southern by the grace of God, Israelite by the grace of God. She's willing to enter this community, and I think this is pretty impressive, y'all. She is willing to do it even if she knows she might not totally be accepted. So when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. In the 1800s, there was a, was a revival in Wales. And as a result, usually when revival happens, the world becomes the focus because when we get revived, God's heart becomes our heart and the nations begin to be our focus. And so the Welsh, along with some Americans, they begin to send missionaries. And some of those missionaries found themselves in North India at the time the area where this story takes place was called the state of Assam. It's still in existence today, but there was a region that's now called Megalea. I've got a good friend there, been there many times. He serves among the Garo people. And in those days, when the missionaries went out, most of those tribes in the northeast part of India were headhunters. They lived to kill the, the neighboring tribe. And so the missionaries began to work among these people carefully, and in the Garo people group, a man named Noxing trusted Christ. His wife believed in Jesus and their two kids turned to Christ. Through, through Noxing's witness, a few of the other villagers in this area became Christians. The chief of the village of the region got pretty angry because he didn't like this new faith, this turning from idols and turning to this new God. And so he brought Noxing before the village and he said, you can renounce this new faith in front of us all or you can face execution. By the way, this story comes down to us from a guy that's called the Billy Graham of India, a guy named P. Job, he's a big evangelist just went to be with the Lord a few years ago. Noxine called in front of the village. Renounce your faith in Jesus or be executed. Noxine replied, Jisuni Jaman Angaja Rigjin, which is Garo literally for after Jesus I will follow 
will not go back. The chief was enraged, and so he ordered his archers to shoot arrows into the two children. And they were killed. And as the boys were laying dead at Noxing's feet, the chief asked, Will you now deny your faith? You've lost both of your children. You will also lose your wife. Noxing replied, Darang Watoba, Angaja Rikgen, Repiljawa which is Garo for though none go, I will follow, will not go back. The chief was infuriated even more and ordered the wife to be executed by arrows. As she died, the chief turned to Noxing and said, I'll give you one last opportunity to deny your faith and live. Facing death, Noxing replied, Asako wate chilsoko dee, repiljawa. Garo for leaving the ways of the world, carrying the cross, will not go back. And he was shot dead with his family. That story was passed down throughout the Garo's Christian history. What was pretty wild was in the days to come in that village, because of Noxing's testimony, many people started turning to Jesus, and eventually this chief did as well. That story permeated the early Christian history of the Garo tribe until in the mid-1950s, some Westerners heard the story and they heard the testimony. And so they put a melody to it. You've probably heard it before. It goes like this. Though none go with me. Angaja rig jin, no turning back, ripple jawa, the world before me, the cross behind me, asako wate, chisoko dee, asako wate, chisoko dee, asako wate, chisoko dee, ripple jawa. How does this text point us to Christ? How does this text point us to Christ? God has visited his people by giving living bread, the Lord Jesus Christ. We were in the fields of Moab worshiping idols. We were in the fields of Moab forsaking the Lord. And the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob loved the world that he gave his son. I am the living bread that has come down from heaven. If any man eats of this bread, he will not starve. If you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have life. This is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat of it. Do this in remembrance of me. This text points to us, to the fact that there would come 
a visit from our God once and for all to save us from our spiritual hunger and the graciousness and kindness and sovereignty of God in bringing us to himself. How does our text this morning point us to Christ? Jesus Christ is the savior of all peoples. No matter where you're born, no matter how you were born, no matter the circumstances of your life, no matter how far you may feel from God, he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except from him. And the gospel invitation is, no matter who you are or where you've been, there's room at the cross because he is the propitiation for not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. The church is from all nations, all peoples, You can go anywhere on this earth right now and you can preach the gospel of Jesus and it will fit perfectly to the need of every human heart. Finally, how does this text point us to Christ? We see Ruth kissing Moab goodbye. We see Ruth turning to the God of Israel. Jesus is worth more to us than life, family, and all things. Even if we don't know what's to come, even if we face archers and death, we're not going to go back. We're not going to turn back. Because we have become convinced that he is worth more to us than all of those things combined. I consider everything loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I believe if you know Jesus this morning, an arrow was put to your chest. You'd already decided that in your heart that Jesus is worth more. To be a Christian is by God's grace to say, those things used to matter to me, but not anymore. Jesus is worth more. This little book called Ruth to rock our world. This morning, if you're down in Moab, maybe you've never come to Israel, maybe you are outside the people of God, the invitation of the gospel is turn from your idols, turn from your sin, come into the kingdom of God. Jesus has paved the way. As a believer this morning, maybe you've been pragmatic, it hadn't worked out for you, Maybe you trust your plans and your desires. He's the God that visits his people. He's the God that is faithful to his people. And he is the God that is worth more to us than all things combined. Maybe good this morning to tell him that. And by his grace, help you treasure him above all things. No turning back, no turning back. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for scripture. Thank you for this little book of Ruth that when it seems all is lost and all is without hope, you're still at work. You're still mighty to save. You're still mighty to redeem. You're still mighty to work marvelous wonders. Lord, we have to confess this morning we wouldn't stay faithful if it wasn't for your grace. We thank you for sustaining grace, training grace, sanctifying grace.
Lord, I pray for those that are feeling like Naomi this morning, they would bear their heart before you. In return, I pray for those, Lord, that are like Ruth, that have worshipped the gods of Moab all their life, that they would turn to embrace the living God, to embrace his people. Holy Spirit, apply this word to our hearts as only you can. I'll be down front. Paul's around. If you need somebody to talk to this morning, if you need counseling, we're here. We'll be here after the service too. What a God, what a Savior. Let's stand and let's worship him.